Good morning, everyone. You can go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, we hope and trust you're having a good New Year so far. That things are going well as we kick off 2018. And as Pastor Rich just said, as a church here, we are uh, to kick off the new year starting a new three-week series on worship. And what we want to do is we want to uh, take some time to dive down deep into this topic, to really begin to try to understand it from the scriptures. And to do that, what we want to do is just try to answer some basic questions around this topic. Things like, what is worship? What uh, exactly does it involve? What are some of the key components of it? As well, we want to look at questions of like, well, why do we worship or why should we worship? Uh, as well, we want to look at, at practical questions. How do we worship? What does it look like to do this in our day-to-day lives? And so uh, one of the reasons why we're doing this series now is because as pastors, uh, a, a while back, we uh, were meeting and discussing and praying and, 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 and seeking the Lord as to what uh, should be kind of the theme or, or what he would have us focus on this ministry year. And as we were doing that, um, we, we found ourselves talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and about our need to be the kind of church that is led by the Spirit. And in that, we realized that, that there's probably some things in the area of worship that we need uh, to focus on, that we, could, that we could grow in. And so because of that, uh, in, in obedience to that leading, to that prompting, uh, we felt like, well, we should probably teach on it, give a series to the topic. And, and so that's one reason. Another reason why we're teaching on this now is because uh, I think that at some level uh, there is some confusion and misunderstanding when it comes to this topic of worship. You see, we're living in a period of church history right now where uh, we have um, we sing these things called worship songs and there's worship conferences and worship ministries and worship bands. Uh, many churches even have uh, these people and sometimes they're on staff called uh, worship leaders and they play guitar, and they sing songs, and they wear skinny jeans and flannel shirts. And uh, just kidding, that's true of all millennials, myself included. Um, but basically, where we're at is we're, we're at this place in America as a church where worship is used simply to describe certain types of songs. And it's gotten so interconnected and tied up with music and singing and skinny jeans. And so because of that, I think the question... Uh, that we must uh, ask is, is that all that worship is? Is it merely singing? Is it merely this genre of Christian music? Or is it something more than that? In other words, when we come to the Bible, when we come to the scriptures, what does it say in response to the question of what is worship? And so in starting out the series today, that's the exact question that I want to try to tackle. But, but before we go there and dive into that, would you uh, join me in a word of prayer? Father, we do just pause right now, and Lord, we uh, invite your presence and your power and the Holy Spirit to come and to uh, just illuminate the scriptures, that he would give us eyes to see, that he'd give us ears to hear, and that he'd give us hearts to know and to be able to respond in obedience. And so uh, we ask that now in Jesus' name, amen. So last summer, I uh, was invited by Jonathan Kimball, one of uh, the pastors down at Awaken Church, our sister church in the short north, uh, to come down and to speak to a group of college kids on the subject of worship. And so as we're talking and going back and forth, I, I'm like, well, so about how long should I talk for? You know, 
thinking he would say 25, 30 minutes. And he responded back with, oh, I don't know, maybe like an hour and a half, two hours. And I was like, what? Uh, brother, I don't know how you prepare for messages and speaking, but you're talking about a lot of work. I mean, I can't just show up with a Bible and like wing it for an hour and a half, two hours. And but that's what he wanted. And so uh, I don't know why, but I agreed to do it. And, and in hindsight, I'm, I'm really glad that I did. And I'm glad I did because I think I, too, had fallen into this mindset that that basically worship was is just it was basically just music and singing. And the thing that was ironic about Jonathan Kimball picking me to teach on worship is that he's one of the most gifted and, and awesome worship leaders that I know. And I most definitely am not one of the most gifted and awesome worship leaders that I know. <laughs> Ask my wife. She gets to hear me sing often. Um, in fact, I, I often have this reoccurring nightmare. I mean, like, literally, I dream this, like, on a regular basis where I've, I've somehow wound up on stage here. And uh, I have a guitar and a microphone's in front of me, and I'm trying to play along and sing, and I'm messing everything up. And, and again, it's this, it's this nightmare. And so uh, it was kind of ironic that Kimball was asking me to teach on worship. And yet, as him and I discussed things, that was the exact reason why he asked me, simply because I'm not a worship leader. And so again, as I said, I'm, I'm glad that he did because what it did is it forced me to go back to the scriptures and to take uh, some time to dig in and to look and to see what do the scriptures say? What do they teach us about worship? And as I begin to do that, what I kind of landed on is that I think that true, genuine worship involves at least these three things. It involves our allegiance. It involves our affections. And it involves our actions, those, those things that we do, those outward expressions. And so let me just walk through each one of these and explain them and, and try to show you why I think that there's such a key component scripturally uh, when it comes to worship. And so starting with number one, true, genuine worship involves first our allegiance. As, as most of you know, the opening words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. And those four words are highly significant, and they're significant because they communicate something to you and I. Namely, they communicate that God is supreme, and we are not. God is the creator, and we are the creation. And so by the very nature of who God is as the supreme creator, he is deserving, and he is worthy of our worship. And so when God created Adam and Eve, that's exactly what they did. They, were, they, they came into existence worshiping God. Their allegiance was totally and exclusively uh, given to him. And yet, when they were deceived by the serpent and they ate the fruit of the forbidden tree, for the first time in their lives, Adam and Eve stopped worshiping God. And they stopped worshiping God because they gave their allegiance, their loyalty to someone else. And really, ever since that, that has been the struggle of the human heart. There has been this struggle for you and I to give our allegiance to someone or to something else other than our creator, God. And when we do that, the Bible calls that idolatry. And as you begin to walk through the pages of the scriptures, uh, you'll see that this is a constant and consistent struggle for human beings. We see this all throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. Here's this nation that God raises up for himself, this, this people that he set apart to worship him. He revealed himself to them. 
And, and he actually went on to rescue them from slavery in Egypt and, and the oppression that they were under. And he brought them out into the wilderness and he began to miraculously provide for them. He had bread coming down out of heaven. He had water gushing out of a rock to give them something to drink. He, he uh, started helping them defeat their enemies. And then in Exodus 20, verse 2, God addresses this people. This people set apart to worship him. And he says this. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is under or is the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So not only is God their creator, which alone is enough to demand their worship, to demand their allegiance, but with this group of people, he has actually saved them. He has rescued them and he has provided for them. And again, he has revealed himself to them. And in return, he is just simply uh, commanding and asking that they worship him and him alone. He's asking that their allegiance would be given to him and to no one else. Well, for those of you who are familiar with uh, this time period of Israel's history, you'll know that their allegiance towards God didn't last very long. In fact, not long after this, uh, this when this was commanded, uh, a few chapters later in Exodus 32, uh, this same people, the same people who watched God part the Red Sea and, and watched him destroy the Egyptian army, the same people created a golden calf. They created this statue and they began to fall down and worship it and to sacrifice to it. And they even had the audacity to declare that this golden calf that this thing that they just made with their own hands was the thing that saved them from Egypt. And so we see here that they have completely given their allegiance to someone and to something else other than the true God, other than Yahweh. And if we had time this morning, we could continue to walk through uh, the story of Israel in the Bible. And if we did that, what we would see is that they continually struggle with giving their allegiance to other gods. But, you know, this isn't just unique to them. This isn't just a problem for Israel. This is a problem for all of us. You see, you and I, we may not be bowing down to golden calves that we just made, but there are other idols in our lives. There are other things in our lives that are vying for our loyalty and our affection. There are people and things that we prioritize, that we sacrifice for. And I think the temptation for all of us is to, to read stories like, like the nation of Israel building golden calves and to somehow arrogantly think that we're better than them. To somehow arrogantly think that we're not like them. But the truth is, we are like them. Our hearts are prone to wander, just like theirs were. And yet, if we are to, to be the ones who, who are truly worshiping God, this component of our allegiance is so critical to that. As he told us in Exodus, he says, I am a jealous God. And what that means is that he will not receive worship that does not involve our allegiance towards him. He wants us to have eyes and hearts that are set on him and on him alone. And so that's the first component when it comes 
to worship. It involves our allegiance. Let's move on and look at the second one, and that is this. Worship also involves our affections. Now, I know some of uh, that's not a word we use very much anymore, but it's one that I, I really like. And what that word's getting at is it's referring to our emotions and our feelings. That, that part inside of us that, that feels things, that, that delights in things, that loves. And I know I'm probably making some of you nervous right now and saying that I think that our emotions and our feelings are a key part of worship. Because I think some of you have been led to believe that those things are bad or that they're uh, unimportant or that maybe even they're unreliable. And I'll concede that at times our feelings can be skewed and unreliable. But I think taken as a whole, and I think taken over a period of time, they are very revealing and telling about what we actually care about. And so what uh, I mean by that is, are there times when you and I don't feel like doing something that we should do? Well, sure. Are there times where our love and our delight in God is not all that it should be? Well, yes. But if you're telling me that feelings and emotions aren't important and aren't a key part of worship, then I have to disagree. And I have to disagree because I think that the Bible disagrees. You see, all throughout the Bible, and and particularly in the book of Psalms, we see the interconnection of affections and worship. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms that we read, he unapologetically gushes out affection and emotion in those words that he wrote. And this is the man that God said was a man after my own heart. I mean, he expresses feelings of, of longing and hunger. He says weird and crazy things like, As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. He expresses uh, feelings of joy and gladness. He, he says in Psalm 31, 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Because you have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul. He says a chapter later in Psalm 32, 11, he says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see, the reason why affections are such a key component to worship is because if you are not delighting in, if you are not enjoying God, then you are not worshiping him. You see, he is not glorified with with half-hearted attempts or begrudging submission. You can do the right things. You can say the right things. You can even believe the right things. But if you are not delighting in and enjoying him because of who he is, because of what he has done, you are not worshiping him. Uh, John Piper, in his book, Desiring God and Defending the Role of Affections in Worship, puts it like this. He says, the engagement of the heart in worship is the coming alive of the feelings and emotions and affections of the heart. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. It is not a mere act of willpower by which we perform an outward act. Without the engagement of the heart, we do not really worship God. You see, it's just so critical here that that our uh, affections and our emotions are are, are rightly uh, in line with who God is and on what he has done on our behalf. Uh, Another one of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, he puts it very uh, similar. He says, anything that has no feeling in it, you can be quite sure is dead. Real worship, among other things, is a feeling in the heart. 
See, this is exactly why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees the way that he did. Because he recognized that at some level, they, they did have this allegiance towards God. They were very devout in their, their acts of religious worship. They were very zealous. But none of that was combined with an affection and a love for who God really is. That's why, he again, he rebuked them in Mark 7, verse 6. He says this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. You see, Jesus, what he's doing here is he's helping us understand that mere allegiance through lip service is not enough. That is not true worship. True worship must include love and affection and hearts that are close to God. That's why when uh, later on he was asked by some of the, the religious leaders, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment out of the law? He replied by saying this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. You and I, we worship God when we love him. When we are delighting in him, when we have hearts that are are stirred and engaged with affections for him. I know some of us men, we struggle with this. We don't like to talk about emotions. We don't like to think about them. They seem unimportant to us. But but I just want to challenge that because I don't think you actually uh, really believe that. You see, I think I think your emotions are way more engaged than you think you are, because I think that there's probably some men in this room who who actually uh, cried when OSU didn't make the college football playoffs. Like you, you shut your door in your bedroom and you just wept like a baby, you know, or maybe if you didn't cry, maybe you were angry. You just I I cannot believe that committee didn't put us in. I'm going to I'm going to drive to wherever their offices are and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Or maybe your emotions was gladness and joy. You thought, well. At least we don't have to be embarrassed like we were last year, but we still get to complain about the fact that that we didn't get put in. But either way, I bet that your emotions were stirred engaged or or maybe if you don't like football, maybe you're a soccer fan. And so this last year when the U.S. didn't make the World Cup or when the Columbus crew started talking about leaving Columbus, you were mad. You're like, I cannot believe this. I'm going to get a bumper sticker and a yard sign that says save the crew. You were so stirred up emotionally that you're actually... You know, you're just you're unraveling, you're losing it. Or maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe for you, it's music. Or maybe even worse, it's video games. And you just you're doing this and your emotions are just so I can't believe I just lost again. You know, or maybe for you, it's none of those things. Maybe it's nature. Maybe for you, when you just see an ocean and you just look at that vastness or you go to a place like Mount Rainier or the Grand Canyon, your your emotions are just stirred up. And you're just in awe and wonder. Either way, I bet that your emotions, again, are way more engaged than you think that they are. And so you can try to deny it or fight it all you want. But according to the Bible, our affections and our emotions matter to God, especially when it comes to worshiping him. And no, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to cry when you worship. Crying isn't the only way to express emotion, but you better feel something. Or again, you have not worshipped our God. And so that's the second thing. Worship involves our affections. The, the last component we want to look at when it comes to worship is that worship involves our actions. 
Now, I had a tough time picking uh, the last word to describe this, and I didn't want to mess up my perfect A word outline, and so I chose actions. But what I'm getting at there is that uh, worship does involve our outward expressions. It does involve these, these acts, these things that we do. Now, as I've already pointed out, we can do those outward expressions, and they mean nothing if they're not flowing out of hearts that are worshiping God. But nevertheless, they are still a key component to worship. You see, when we, uh, we can have in our hearts uh, allegiance and affections to God, but if that doesn't result in some sort of outward expression, then it's not true, genuine worship. You see, earlier on in the message, I, I tried to show you that worship isn't merely singing or music, but singing and music are an act of worship when they're an expression of the allegiance and the affections of our hearts. And saying that worship isn't merely singing, I'm not trying to disregard or downplay the importance of singing. No, in fact, I think that singing and music are extremely important when it comes to worship. This stuff that we do up here and, and, and before the message, that's not a throwaway. That's not, you know, the warm-up to, to the actual thing, the message. No, that is a part of the whole. That is an important part of our services and so, again, I just want to challenge you on that. And it's not my opinion. The Bible, that's the Bible's opinion. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing and over 50 direct commands to sing. Many of those are found in the book of Psalms, but we are commanded twice in the New Testament as believers to sing. Once in Ephesians 5 and then also in Colossians 3. And so this is an, this is an important part of our worship. You see, every time we get a glimpse of heaven in the Bible, when the curtain is pulled back and we get to see what's going on up there, we see that singing is one of the primary outward expressions of worship to God. I know some of you in here are like, well, I don't like singing. I don't have a good voice or I don't, I don't like the type of music we do here. Well, the reality is, is God likes singing. It's one of the primary ways that we worship him and worship is about him. Worship's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what I like, what I want, what I prefer. And I just think some of us need to get over this. We need to get our eyes off of what we want, what we like, what we prefer, and we need to get our eyes on God, on what he likes, on what he wants, on what he prefers. And so, yes, singing is one of the actions, one of the outward expressions that we do to worship God. Uh, other actions that we do uh, that we see in the Bible are, are things like clapping or raising our hands or, or bowing down or falling even face down. You see that over and over again in the scriptures. In fact, the most common word uh, in the Old Testament for worship literally means to bend over or bow down. And so all of these actions, whether it's clapping or raising our hands or, or bowing down on our knees, they are things that you and I do with our bodies in order to express and to show the worship that's taking place in our hearts. In other words, these are outward expressions of an inward reality. You see, I think as modern-day evangelicals, and, and I mean that in a theological sense, not in a political sense, uh, I think that we, somewhere along the line, have, have uh, lost this idea that posture matters. Not, no, I don't mean like posture, like straight back kind of thing. I mean, I mean, these physical expressions with our bodies of, of worship. 
And I just think in, in overreacting to formal religion or certain types of denominations like Catholicism or whatever, that, that somewhere along the line, we have disregarded the importance of posture before the Lord. You see, when you look at the scriptures or when you look through church history, you see that posture is a really big deal. Now, we obviously know that you can bow down and raise your hands and things like that and it not be uh, you truly worshiping God, hence Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees. And yet, just because you can do it and it not be uh, true worship, I don't think it's a good reason to not do it at all, to just, well, chuck the whole thing. You see, I think that there's something really powerful when we posture ourselves before the Lord and we show by our outward expression, by using our physical bodies to show what's going on inside of our hearts, to show that in we're reality. You see, the, the, the truth is, is that the Lord, he wants all of you. He wants every single part of you. And he is worthy of that. He deserves that. And so I just want to challenge you, if you've, if you've never bowed down, or if you've never laid face down before God while singing or while praying, if you've never done some of these physical postures then that, that we see in the scriptures, then I want to challenge you to think through, why haven't I done that? Is it because I've just never thought about it before? Or is it maybe because I thought it was unnecessary? Or, or maybe is it because that's, man, that's really embarrassing? Uh, or maybe is it because of some pride in your life? Because to actually do that and to be genuine does require a level of humility. It's an acknowledgement of, of God, you are God and I am not. Lord, I'm going to bow down in prayer because I need you. Because I'm not God and I can't do it on my own. And so I just want to challenge you again, if you've never done that. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that has to, you have to do that at church while we're singing. This could be as simple as you in your bedroom with the door closed, getting on your knees and praying and saying, Lord, I worship you. God, by being on my knees or being on my face, I'm acknowledging who you are and I'm acknowledging who I am. And and I just want to communicate that with my body. And so, again, think about this. Maybe consider incorporating some of this into your life, because, again, I think it matters. I think it matters to God. I think it communicates something to him as an act of worship. What else? What are some other actions or expressions of worship? Well, obviously, prayer can be an act of worship. When you and I, when we pray prayers of thanksgiving or prayers of gratitude or prayers of praise, where we're just, uh, again, worshiping the Lord for who he is. When those prayers explode out of us as an overflow of our hearts rejoicing in and delighting in God, then we are worshiping through the act of prayer. You know, earlier this week, uh, Faith and I were uh, trying to get our kids to bed and she was helping them brush their teeth. And I was in the living room trying to, uh, uh, I, have, I have to confess something. So um, I, was, I was flipping through the channels and turning it on PBS. And I was doing that because uh, our kids get up incredibly early. And so we kind of preset the TV with the volume down on PBS Kids so they can watch a little bit. And we, it buys us some extra time. And don't judge me. Hey, I'm just trying to survive here, you know. Um, and actually, I should admit... Uh, a New Year's goal or resolution is to get up before my kids at least five times during the week. But I'm still having two days where I'm setting that TV and uh, I'm buying a couple extra minutes. But so anyway, I was getting it set with the volume down and I put on PBS and they were doing this documentary special, a nature thing on Japanese snow monkeys. Has anyone ever heard of these things? Oh, my goodness. I, I never heard of them. I mean, I don't think the Columbus Zoo has them, so I didn't know they existed. But um, 
These things are amazing. And so I, again, I'm, I turn it to it just so I can turn the TV off. But I, I get so captured and engrossed in this nature uh, special that, that face probably like, why aren't you helping with the kids? What are you doing? And I'm like, we need to hurry and get them to bed and so we can watch some more of this, you know. And so we throw them upstairs and, you know, pray a two-second prayer. And we come back down and uh, we're kind of just standing in the living room watching this. And it was just so fascinating. I mean, these things are so cool. Um, and we're kind of just standing there because I, I thought, like, eventually it's going to get boring. and We'll turn it off and just go to bed. Well, about 30 minutes in of standing, I'm like, well, we might as well just sit down because clearly we're watching this whole thing. And so uh, we watch it. And then we were going to turn the TV off, and they did a preview for what was coming on next. Well, what was coming on next was a special on the Hubble Telescope. It was a, a, a little show to, to celebrate 25 years of this thing. And, and i got to be honest, I didn't know really anything about the Hubble telescope before watching this. But I was like, shoot, after seeing the preview, I'm like, well, I guess we're staying up a little bit later. And so uh, we continued to watch. And it was so fascinating. I mean, this thing is, is unreal. And to think of, it, the, it went into the history behind how long it took to design it and the, the engineers and the, the people who worked on it. And then they send this thing up and someone had, the, the mirror got messed up basically, I guess. And, and the first images that came back were like garbage. It was all blurry. And they're like, oh, we just wasted a billion, $1.5 billion. And people were making fun of them. And, and these engineers started working hard again to figure out how to fix it. And so a couple years later, they send a team up and they fix it. And when the images came back, they were blown away. I think we have a few of the images that it's been uh, giving us over the last 25 years. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Words really do fail uh, to give them justice. And not only has the Hubble been giving us these beautiful pictures of our universe, but it's been teaching us things about it. Amazing, mind-blowing things that we didn't know. It's, it's, it's showing us that the number of stars and galaxies that we thought there were, were not even close. There, I mean, it's the, when you hear the numbers, I mean, it's one of those numbers where it's like, you know, 26 with like 30 zeros out. I mean, it's just like you can't, you can't begin to think about it. As well, it's been teaching us that our universe is expanding at accelerating speeds. It's, it's teaching us about these black holes and, and all of these things. One of the newest things it's showing us is that there's this stuff in the universe called dark energy. And, and they have no idea what it is. But they know that it's responsible for the expansion of the universe and it's completely blowing them away. And so Faith and I are just watching all of this. You know, from the Japanese snow monkey to our universe. And we're just so blown away. And my heart was just being so flooded with joy and affection for our God. And I think... Part of it was as I started the reading plan we passed out last week. And so I've just been reading in Genesis and just thinking the fact that our God spoke this into being. Thinking about the fact that this was a, a creative thought that he had and that he spoke it into existence and it's there. And that he's sustaining it day after day. That he's providing for these Japanese snow monkeys at the same time that he's loving me and my family and loving you. And it, again, I was just... I was so overwhelmed with this sense of allegiance and love towards God that as I, I turned off the show and got in the shower, I just I couldn't help but, but just exploding out prayers of thanksgiving and praise. It's like, Lord, you are amazing. I cannot believe that, that this universe uh, is something that you created and that it's just such a small fraction of, of, of your glory and it's such a small fraction of how big you are. And again, I just begin to express some of these things to the Lord. 
And so I, I would contend that I think that it takes all three of these components coming together for you and I to have worship that's true and genuine. And yet, yes, there's other actions of worship that I, I didn't have time to really go into. Things like uh, serving God, serving others. Things like us submitting to him. Things like obeying him and, 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 and walking in holiness. These are all acts of worship. Uh, things like working hard, as, as Pastor Bob talked about last week. Uh, even according to the Apostle Paul, uh, how uh, you and I can worship by eating food. That we can worship the Lord when we enjoy a good meal. And we reflect back that, you know, Lord, thank you for taste buds. God, you didn't have to do that. Food could taste terrible and you would still be just and right. But, man, you made steak taste really good. Thank you, Lord. I worship you. You know, I mean, it's true. I mean, there's a sense in which every moment... Every action in your life is an opportunity for us to worship. And we're going we're gonna to dive more into that in this last week of this series when we talk about how to worship. But, but for now, in case maybe you're still doubting whether or not these components make up worship, I wanted to show you a clip of a worship service that I came across recently. And so uh, would you go ahead and uh, show this, this worship service here? Now, this is uh, Liverpool Football Club. This is my favorite sports team. And uh, every match before they sing a song, they sing You'll Never Walk Alone, some song from, I don't know, the 50s or something. But uh, it's really meaningful, apparently. So I just want you to notice, is there any, do you get a sense that maybe there's some allegiance here? Any, uh, is it obvious who they're devoted to? What about affection? Do you notice any affection on their faces or any? Look at this guy. He's real into it. (laughs) This is 95,000 people singing. You'll never walk alone at the top of their lungs. Men, I can assure you who would claim they don't have emotions and feelings. All right, that's probably good enough. You get the point. And yes, I chose that. I I almost showed a clip of the Buckeyes after they beat uh, Penn State this last year. But I was like, you know what? I'm teaching. I'm going to show the team that I want to show. And so you get to watch some football there. But uh, again, obviously, there's a sense of allegiance there. There's a sense of uh, who and what they're devoted to while they're there. There's a sense of affection and emotion. There's joy. There's actions. I mean, they're just standing there with their hands raised high to the thing that they worship. Now, I don't care what you think. That is worship. Um, We're going to get into this more next week of why we're so prone to that. Why would 95,000 people at the top of their lungs sing and and just, you know, give their devotion and their allegiance to uh, sports? It's crazy. And we're going to get into that more next week. But for now, I just wanted to show you that, again, I don't care what it is. I think that all three of these components are a, a, a crucial part of worship, whether you're worshiping God, your creator, or whether you're worshiping yourself, or whether you're worshiping some silly sports team. And so as we close here, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Who or what have you been uh, giving your allegiance to lately? 
Is it obvious by the way that you prioritize your time and your money that God has your allegiance? Or perhaps have you given it to other things, to other people? So what about your allegiance? Where has it been going lately? What about your affections? Where have you been going lately to find joy and satisfaction? What kind of things lately have have been causing you to be excited? What are you longing for? Are you longing for God and to spend time with him and be in his presence? Or are you longing for season three of Stranger Things on Netflix? You're like, I can't believe I got to wait till October. Now, look, I'm asking these questions to myself. This is this is not me pointing at you. This is me pointing to myself. I'm saying, Nick, what are what have you been giving your allegiance to? What have you been giving your affections to? What about your actions? Are you consistently worshiping God through singing and prayer and spending time with him throughout your week? Or or do you only think about him on Sundays? When you eat that good meal, when you taste that steak, are you then uh, turning around and, 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 and giving him glory and, and thanking him? When you see that beautiful sunset, are you just saying, Lord, God, thank you for that. That's so amazing. You're so beautiful. You're so creative. Are you doing that or do you just move on to the next thing? And again, I'm, I'm asking myself these questions. You see, I think, I, I think the Lord wants 2018 to be your and I's best year of worship. The year where we just, there's our, the, our level of devotion and our level of joy and satisfaction in him, is just, it, it just keeps going up. It gets better and better. But the truth is this, you and I, none of us can truly worship God without his help. See, you and I, we're like our parents, Adam and Eve. We have at different times given our allegiance and our affections to someone other than our creator, God. We have worshipped ourselves. We have worshipped other things like money and sex and power. But thankfully for us this morning, there was one who worshipped God perfectly. There was one who every moment of his life, every moment of his life, his allegiance and his affections was perfectly set on his father. His name's Jesus. In fact, the scriptures even describe for us a time when uh, he when the serpent came to test him, when the serpent came to try to deceive him. And yet, unlike our parents, Adam and Eve, who blew it, Jesus passed the test again. He worshiped his father perfectly while here on earth. You see, in Matthew four, we're told that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the spirit. And while he was out there, Satan came to tempt him and he he tempted him three different times. But if we look at that last temptation, the most significant one, it says this in Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him Uh, Only shall you serve. You see, worship is the greatest thing, the highest thing that you and I could ever give to someone. And we see here that that's ultimately what Satan wants. He wants to be in the place of God. He wants to be worshipped. And he even is so bold as to try to get the son of God to worship him. And yet, thanks be to God, Jesus didn't. Jesus, again, he perfectly had his allegiance and his affection and his worship set on the father. And because Jesus worshiped perfectly 
And because he died for you and forgave your sins and forgave all those moments of you not worshiping perfectly. And because he rose again victoriously, you and I can now worship God. And we can worship him because, as Jesus says in John 4, as he's discussing worship with the woman at the well, he says this, the father is seeking, he's seeking true worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And because Jesus died and rose again, and because he has sent the spirit to come and to live in us, you and I now can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live lives that are pleasing to God, lives that honor and worship him. You see, later on in the book of John, we're told uh, by Jesus that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, that he will reveal and teach us things about the Father. You see, so much of worship is having God revealed to you and then you responding appropriately to that revelation of who he is. You see, the Holy Spirit, you'll have to forgive the analogy, but he's, he's like the, the Hubble telescope. He, he shows us Things uh, that we would otherwise not be able to see. He gives us understanding into who God is like in a way that we couldn't otherwise know. He teaches us. He, he, uh, along with the word of God, he illuminates who God is and why he is worthy of our worship. He points to Jesus and he he blows him up in these beautiful images and he, he magnifies him. And he just says, look at Jesus. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he lovely? Isn't he worth all of your affection and all your love and all your praise? But you see, the truth is, if you're here today, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never uh, put your faith in him, if you've never received him, then you actually can't worship God. You see, to be able to worship God, you again have to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. And to do that, you have to put your faith in him. You see, we're kind of born into this world worshiping other things. And usually it's ourselves. But when we give our lives to Jesus, when we receive him, then in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and he lives in us. And as a result, we are finally able to worship our creator again. We're able to get back to that place like Adam and Eve before the fall. And so I just want to, if you're here today and you've never done that, if you've never taken that step of of, of putting your faith in Jesus, I just want to invite you to do that. Do it right now. I mean, it's as simple as you just in your heart before the Lord saying, Lord, and acknowledging I need you. Lord, I confess that I have worshiped other things beside you, that I've blown it, Lord. And I I just repent of that. And I just ask you to come and to change me, to come live inside of me and give me a new heart so that I can finally worship you for who you are. And so, again, I want to invite you to do that if you've never done that. But if you're here today and you do know Jesus then in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to remember and to celebrate him by taking the Lord's Supper. And actually taking communion, I think, is one of the most profound ways we worship God. Now, it has to be combined with those inward realities. I mean, there's, in a sense, nothing special about you coming up here and taking this if your allegiance and your affections aren't set on Jesus. But when they are, when those inward realities are there, then communion is a beautiful act of worship uh, to the Lord. And so I'm just going to pray here in a moment. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to stir our affections for Jesus. That as we take the bread and we take the cup, that as we continue to to sing and to give our tithes and offerings, that our eyes would be so set on Jesus that he alone would have all of us, that he would have our hearts, that he would have our affections, our allegiance. And so let me pray. And I'm going to ask the Lord to do that. Father, we do. (sighs) Lord, we need you. 
Lord, we acknowledge that we have often, so many times, given our worship to other things. But Lord, we want to just stop right now and confess that you and you alone are worthy of all our praise, of all our worship, Lord. God, we recognize that right now, in this moment, right now, Lord Jesus, you are on your throne and you're surrounded by myriads of angels and by saints who have gone before us, Lord, and they are all doing one thing. They're enjoying you. God, they're seeing the beauty of who you are and they're delighting in it and they're responding with acts of worship. Lord, Holy Spirit, help us to respond the same way. I pray you would give all of us just uh, stir our affections for Jesus. Help us to see him for the, for, in his glory, Lord, for the beauty of who he is. And then, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to respond appropriately to that. And so, God, again, as we continue to, to worship here through uh, giving, Lord, as we continue to worship here by taking the Lord's Supper, as we continue to worship by singing, would you give us hearts that are set on you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, you can go ahead and come down and release the rose. Um, you can come up and grab the bread and the juice and go back to your seat and feel free uh, to take it whenever you feel led.